Praise the Lord. I want to share a few personal remarks this morning. A year ago on October 1st, my dad, 94 years of age, passed on into the presence of the Lord. And amidst beautiful experiences with the Lord, visions of the Lord, and last evening, my dear mother passed into the presence of the Lord. My loving, kind, surrendered, spiritual, holy, godly, powerful, prayerful, worshipful, mother went home to be with Jesus. I don't know of a finer person that has ever walked in the presence of the Lord throughout her whole life. And about just afternoon, 1.30 or so, we got a call that mom had kind of collapsed at the was feeling really weak at the shepherd's care where she was, and she was being taken to the hospital, the Royal Alex. And I went up there by just shortly after she was settled in, and I went to see her, and she said, she says, Ron, I feel so weak. I feel so weak. She says, I, I, I'm dying. I want to go home and be with Jesus. And the doctors came in, and one doctor said, yes, you've had, your heart has given out massively. Uh, there is one blockage that we see that we could, we could send a wire up and open up the blockage, and you could, you know, you might even live two years. And we were there, and the doctor left my mom and I alone, and, and we did not have in our spirits at all that any witness to that. And another doctor came in, and you know, my mom just said, no, I want to go home. It's time for me to see Jesus. And she's been in good health. The other doctor came in and right away asked, is, you know, what meds are you on? And I said, my mom is not on meds at all. She never has been. She's only been in the hospital once in her life. The Lord has given her health right to this day. A couple of years ago, she had high blood pressure, and she prayed, and the Lord healed her of high blood pressure. Four years ago, she had a real downturn, and she thought she was slipping out, and the Lord resurrected her. He told her the day that she was coming out of the difficulty she was in. But last night, the doctor said, listen, if, if we don't do anything, it, you're going to pass away probably in two, three hours. And my mom said, that's good. And she was smiling, and I was there with her alone. Both of my brothers are away from the city at this time. And my mom, we prayed and thanked God for each other and spoke many kind and loving words to one another. My mother was singing songs about heaven, and I joined her, and she was lying on her bed speaking in tongues and praying. And, you know, we got some text messages from our family, and the, the grandsons wanted to come up and granddaughter that are in the city right now. Two of them are in eastern Canada and couldn't come, of course. But mom's, I said, Mom, would you like the grandchildren to come up? And she said, she says, I, I feel so weak. She says, I don't, I don't know if I could take it. And she was speaking fine. Everything was good, though. But she said, I, I just feel so weak. But a little while later, she felt a little better. She kind of recouped for a few moments and and I texted out, and the grandchildren came, my sons, Mark and Graydon, and my brother Harold and Denise, who are part of this church, Ryan and Derek, and their daughter, Trisha came, and the other two couldn't come, as I mentioned. And they came up, and they blessed my mom and prayed over her, and she blessed them and thanked them for all the joy and the blessing of God that was there. And 
the uh, doctors said, we were in the ER area where you're just kind of curtained off in that section, and they said they were going to give her a bed in the main hospital, but they decided not to because it was, it was just going to be kind of immediate, they thought, and we were just praying and singing and rejoicing in the Lord, and then about 6.30, so four hours had gone by, 6.30, all of a sudden, they said, well, we're moving you to a room. And so they took my mom, and there was the granddaughter was still there, Tricia and myself, and moved mom to the room. It took about 10, 15 minutes to get her settled in there. And then Tricia went in and said her final goodbye. The others had already said their goodbyes and left. And then I was alone with my mom. And it wasn't, she said, I thought it was going to be more immediate that I'd passed to the Lord. And... But she said, you know, it's all in the Lord's timing. And I thought, here's my mom. She's struggling to breathe. She was on 100% oxygen. Her voice was clear, but she was taking 30 breaths a minute. You know, probably we take 15. When the grandchildren are up, all of a sudden the 30 breaths dropped to 15, and she was strong for those moments. Like old Jacob, he strengthened himself and sat up in his bed to bless the generation to come. When everybody was gone, she settled back and she says, oh, I'm having such, I, I feel so weak. And I was just praying over and blessing her, and, and all of a sudden, in a moment, in a moment, she took, started taking her last breath, and it wasn't maybe a couple minutes, and she was gone. And I looked at my watch, and it was 7.37. And I said, it's a nice flight for you tonight, Mom. John 7, 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And she's looking, she's looking so forward to going home to be with Jesus. I slipped her rings off her finger because there was a, another bridegroom that was going to slip a ring on her hand that night. Forever in the presence of the Lord. Forever in the presence of the Lord. I thought, that's why the Bible says, it's prophesied in Numbers, let me die the death of the righteous. My mom, in five hours, she had no pain. She had difficulty breathing. It was hard at the end. But in five hours, she was gone into the presence of the Lord. No pain, anointed, looking forward, smiling, glowing, praising, worshiping, rejoicing in the Lord. It's one of the greatest gifts of my life that I could be at the bedside of my mom for the last five hours of her life. And I thank God for the gift of God today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Serve the Lord with all your heart. He will be our guide even unto death. I thought of those last few moments as I considered them after my mom had slipped out, and it seemed right at the end, all of a sudden, everything began to accelerate. Her facial expressions and what she was doing and I, and I thought of what Corey Ten Boom had said so many years ago. When she was a child, they had helped the Holocaust people to, the Jews, to escape out of the Netherlands. But when she was a child, she said to her father one day, she said, Father, what will it be like when I die? She was kind of fearful. What's it going to be like to die when I'm going to die? And her father looked at her and calmed her, and he said, he said, when we go on the train somewhere, when do I give you your ticket? 
And she said, and he said, or she said to her dad, she says, you give me the ticket just before we board the train. And he says, when it's your time to go to be with the Lord, he will give you your ticket at that moment. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. And I thought last night, there's my mom. She says to me in the afternoon, she says, it's not easy to die. And she's smiling. It's not easy to die. She could feel the discomfort in her body. But she was looking forward to it. And I thought at the end, that acceleration. You know, when you're waiting, when you're waiting at the bus stop, when you're waiting in the airport, you're just waiting, you're waiting. You're just, things are kind of inactive. But all of a sudden, it's time. And what happens? You grab your belongings. You grab your, your suitcase. You're ready. And all of a sudden, you're gone. And that's how it was last evening. And I praise the Lord with all my heart for such a wonderful mother and heritage and the goodness of the Lord. Let me say something about the conference last weekend. I grew up in church my whole life. I have been in thousands of meetings. I have been in great meetings. I've been in some of the greatest meetings and services and conferences I could ever imagine. But last weekend was one of the greatest conferences that I have ever been in in my life. And you know the Lord is doing something alive and fresh and new. I consider the ministries that we are able to have in this house. These are friends of ours from across the earth, international ministries. Martin Smith and his band Army of Bones, formerly from Delirious, he seeded a generation with the worship and the power of God. Pastor Mark says Martin Smith is the David of our generation. He's the David. He's the anointed minstrel of the nations and has been and carries that anointing. He's our friend and he's in this house and he loves to come here with his band. Russell and Sam Evans from Planet Shakers. Yeah, they're shaking the planet as you heard. Powerful ministries of the Lord and they have such a strong connection in with us and relationship now and we feel so of a kindred spirit with them and God is using them and helped us to help set us on fire last weekend through their ministry and anointed word. Kim Walker-Smith and Jesus Culture. My Kim Walker standing on this stage leading us in worship before the Lord. One of the greatest gifts to the body of Christ today. The music, the worship, the spirit of Jesus Culture. And God has blessed us that they could be in our house. Doug Horley with the children's ministry out of the United Kingdom. Pastor Deanna Vader told me this week, our children's pastor, that she considers Doug Horley the greatest children's ministry in the world and how he blessed our children and how the Spirit of the Lord fell upon them. These are great days of the presence of the Lord. Great days of the presence of the Lord. And God is moving and God is working in our lives and we need to, to hear the word of the Lord and hear what God is saying. When God brings breakthrough, we have to maintain breakthrough. When God brings breakthrough, we have to maintain that victory in our lives. What you gain by the sword, you have to guard by the sword. What you gain by the sword, you keep by the sword and not go back to a former day. 
What God did for many of us last weekend in this church, let's not go back to a former day. You have to hold. You have to maintain what God has done. You have to settle that breakthrough and claim that inheritance of the Lord into the future. You have to hold on to your healing. You have to hold on to your new worship expression. You have to hold to your new prayer life, your new conduct, your new breakthrough, your new liberty, your new fire in God. You have to maintain that and hold on to that. Jesus said... Jesus said, the Son of Man sows the word. He says, I bring a word. I bring seed. I bring life to you. But he says, when the seed is sown, immediately the devil comes to take away that seed. Immediately the devil comes. He wants to steal the seed. He wants to steal the breakthrough. He wants to steal the new expression. He wants to steal the new fire so that we go back to how we were before the conference last weekend. He comes immediately, but we have to hold to that word, and we have to contend, and we're going to walk forth in the new anointing. We're going to walk forth in the new fire. We're going to walk forth in the new reign of God because we are going to hold on to the breakthrough God has given us. The Bible says that the horn of oil was poured out on David. Samuel took the horn of oil and poured it out on David. Then the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. Not backward. Some people fall back. Some people fall from their former steadfastness. Some people fall away from the church. The Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. Some people go backward. Some people go sideways. But David went forward. And he never went back to the old place he'd been. It was a new day. He was anointed already, but now was a new anointing and a new future and a new walk of God for him. He'd taken out a lion. He'd taken out a bear. But now he could take out a giant because there was a fresh anointing on him. And I feel that way for this church. We've taken out the bear. We've taken out a lion. But we're going to take out a giant in the name of Jesus and bring some deliverance and bring some shout and bring some glory and bring some majesty into our house and into the city of the Lord. God's doing a great work in our youth. Sixteen of them were baptized a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor Jenna checked in. She was speaking this last Tuesday night to the youth, and she was checking her word with me for a little bit, and I knew she had a prophetic word. So I slipped out of the prayer service and went to listen to her speak, and she began to talk. Her, her title was The New Normal. The New Normal. Is that right? That God, where God had taken us now, this would be the new normal for the youth group, for the young people of the house, and how they would walk before God. That we are not to remember the former things, but God says, I will do a new thing. Remember not the former things. I will do a new thing. Will you not consider it? Will you not know it? Will you not know it? And she emphasized again that we have to know it. We have to have our ears tuned to know it because we can miss what God is doing. And at the end, on Tuesday night, I wasn't there, but the, some of the youth hadn't left the building till 45 minutes after the conclusion of the night. 9.15, Pastor Jenna told me that they were still, they were anointing the youth with oil, praying over every one of them, the youth workers and the youth pastors, anointing the youth with oil and how there was breakthrough and such commitment to the Lord and such surrender to the Lord. 
God gives us breakthrough. It's the new normal. It's the new normal. Now, I have a couple of scriptures this morning. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 21. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have? I says, I don't have this proverb. What is this proverb that you people have? My people. What is this proverb you have? about the land of Israel, which says, the days are prolonged and every vision falls and fails. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. He says, my people have been saying, This proverb, it's not yet. One of these days, God's going to move. One of these days, there's going to be revival. One of these days, God's going to do something in our city. One of these days, God's going to save more people. It's not yet. It's coming. It's coming. It's always coming. It's always coming. God said, what is this proverb that you use? It's always coming. He said, God said, I'm going to lay that to rest. I'm going to cause that proverb to cease. He said, because the days are here and the fulfillment of every vision. The time is now. Jesus said the time is now for those who have ears to hear. God is moving. God wants to take us where the breakthrough is. God wants to release this church right now into the new thing that he has created, and we can feel it in our spirit. We can feel it in our spirit. He wants to take us on. Jesus said to his generation, he said the the days are going to come, that the enemies are going to compass you about and tear down this place he said because you did not know the time of your visitation you did not know the time of your visitation can you imagine Jesus himself not one of his ministers not one of his disciples Jesus himself the God of heaven incarnate as the son of man walking through the streets and the cities of Israel with the word of the Lord with healing power with salvation ready to deliver the people and set them on fire for God and many of them didn't even know the time of the visitation they couldn't enter in they didn't know the time Jesus said to them he said you're you are a generation of hypocrites he said you can discern the the signs in the sky you can tell in the morning what kind of weather it's it's going to be you can look at night and know what the weather report is going to the next be the next day you're experts at discerning the signs of the sky but he says you cannot discern the signs of the times there were people in David's army, the men of Issachar, 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The Bible says they were men of understanding who knew the times to know what Israel ought to do. They knew the times, what Israel ought to do. And I pray this morning that we know the times and we know what God's doing and our ears are open and our feet are ready and we're going to run with the vision of the Lord. The time is now. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. This people says, God says, I'm not saying this. This isn't my word. This is something you've brought upon yourself, he says. This is a limitation you've taken on your own life. The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, 
Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take, that I may take pleasure in it. This house is first for the Lord and then only for us that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. The people said it's not time. It's not time for God's prayer rooms to be filled. Not time for the worship atmosphere to run hot with fire. Not time for us to be under the word of the Lord regularly and consistently. It's not time. It's, it's, it's our time, they said. It's our time right now. We want to have nice houses and we want to drive nice vehicles, and we want our pleasure, and we have our schedules, and it's our time right now. We, it, it's our time, our endless vacations. It's, 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 this is our time. God says, it's time for the house of the Lord to be built. It's God's time. It's God's time. He'll look after everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you in proper measure and in proper timing. But the people said, it's not time. The Lord says, it's time. He says, I want to take pleasure in the house of the Lord. I want to be glorified in the house of the Lord. I want to be lifted up among a, among a people so that the renown of my name goes far and wide because of what I'm doing and because of my presence in the house. Haggai 2, 6 to 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. That's Jesus, first and foremost. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace. I'll give shalom. I'll give healing. I'll give strength. I'll give family power. I'll give my visitation in this place. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Whatever we've experienced in the past, if we will step and stand in the timing of the Lord, the future is brighter than anything we've known in the past. And so we press on to know the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, this is the third message called SOS. Each message stands on its own. SOS, the International Distress Call Signal. Started with the Morse code in the early 20th century. The letters SOS, we all understand them. It's a call for help. It's a call that, for aid. But it was, the, it was the most easily transmittable and recognizable letters in the Morse code. S, dot, dot, dot. O, dash, dash, dash. S, dot, dot, dot. It was so simple. Anybody could pick it up quickly. And it became the distress call signal. There were no acronyms with it. They call them backronyms because these were added later. And they came out with basically three phrases or slogans. The first, save our souls. The second, send out sucker, help, aid. And the third today, save our ship. Because it's used as a distress by those on the 
the oceans and the seas when they ran into difficulty. People on the ground would form the letters out, SOS, in hopes that somebody would fly over and see the SOS and know there were people in need. SOS, save our ship. There's an institution today that is under great attack. And if I asked you what it was, most of you perhaps would say it's the family, it's, it's marriage, it's the home. And that is true, but there is an institution that is under equal and even greater attack today, and that is the house of God, the church of Jesus Christ. It's the local church and what God wants to establish and what God wants to do in the local church. It's under severe attack today. And today, there's a call, SOS, save our ship. I'm putting this call out to this congregation. Save our ship. Save this church. I believe the Holy Spirit and the God of heaven are calling out to the churches today, especially of North America and the modern world. SOS, save our ship. Save our ship. The house of God. The house of God. The house of God is a people built together in the Spirit. Built together in the Spirit. Unified and loyal and working together for the furtherance of the gospel. Spiritual family after spiritual family. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, you need to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And he was speaking of the local churches that they were raising up and establishing according to New Testament pattern. Save our ship. Save our ship. Save the churches. There's a beautiful illustration in Acts chapter 27. Paul was on the voyage to Rome. Now I'm using this as an illustration today. It says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty, the extra boat that was along. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. They used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis Sands, the shoals of North Africa, that's how far they'd been driven. They struck sail, and so were driven. Cables to undergird the ship. Now let's go to Acts 27, 17, out of the King James. It's so interesting. Which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. They used helps. The King James says helps undergirding the ship. These cables are these helps were used to strengthen the ship, to tie the ship together. And what they would do, they would pass huge frapping cables over the bow of the ship and secure them at various points along the hull. And they would tighten those in the storm and tie that ship together so the timbers wouldn't break apart in the sea and the storm. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, 
helps. Helps. Administrations, varieties of tongues. Now, the word helps isn't the same as the one in Acts 27, but you can't miss the connection. And I say, what is that word helps doing in that list? Apostles and prophets and gifts of healings and administrations and tongues and gifts of the Spirit. What is the word helps doing in that miraculous list, in that power gifting mix? What is the word helps doing in there? It shows us how important helps are. And every one of us is called to help. Every one of us called to help. And I put out a call this morning. Will you help this church? Will you help this body of Christ? Will you help this family that you're a part of? Will you undergird this ship? Will you tie this ship together in the power of God and in the prayers of the Spirit so that this ship can hold and carry its cargo and reach the ports and reach the sands and reach the nations and reach the treasures of this nation and the nations of this world? Say, how can I help? We help by the prayer room. We're in the prayer room. We're prayerful. how, How can I help? We help in our worship. We're fervent. We're expressive. We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're blessing God with all of our heart. How do we help? We help with our finances. We're faithful with our tithes, with our offerings. We're asking God, can we give more? Where can we give? How can we help the kingdom of God? We help by attendance, faithful church attendance. We help. So many ways we can help. We encourage one another. We fellowship. We bless one another. We find a person we can pray for. We see somebody that looks lonely. We go. We introduce ourselves. We try to minister to them as we can. We try and reach out and evangelize some persistent evangelism in this world. That's how we help the kingdom of God, undergirding the ship. Well, Psalm 122, verses 1 to 5 says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact, tightly joined together. And we know the Jerusalem of the Old Testament, which stood for a thousand years, is an illustration. It's an object lesson. It was, it, it was viable in its day, but it was really a representation of the true Jerusalem, which is the body of Christ, the temple of the Lord, and to the local churches that are now spread out through whole, throughout the whole world. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Christ city. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes, the people of the Lord, go up. They go up where? To the testimony of Israel. The testimony of Israel in Scripture is the Word of God. The tribes were going up to worship because it also says to give thanks to the name of the Lord. They were going up to Jerusalem. They were going up to church to get to take in the word and to begin to worship the Lord and to pray. And the Bible says, for thrones are set there for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. That's where the power of God is. That's where the victory of God for your life is. If you're invested in the local church, in its power, in its purity, in its presence, you will walk in victory. You will be able to judge things that are not of the Spirit of God. You will discern between right and wrong. And you will walk in liberty. And you will walk in the power of God. Now the tribes went up to the testimony of Israel, to the word of the Lord. 
This is something that we must hear in our spirit. You can get revelation on your own. You're in your houses, you're having devotion, you can get revelation on your own, but you will never, never receive the measure of revelation that God releases through the ministers of the Lord, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the house of the Lord. He has a revelation, he has a realm of doctrine, he has a realm of understanding that you will never find on your own. It's in the house of the Lord. And that's why Jesus said in Revelation 2 and 3, he says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He didn't say to the individuals. He didn't say to the believers doing their devotions at home, listening to a podcast. He said, let them hear what the Lord's saying to the churches. The greatest release of the word of the Lord is in his house. And how many enjoyed the word last weekend as it came in power? That's God's place. Hallelujah. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I have two quick points this morning. Number one, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I am delayed, Paul said, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Again, the house of God is not the building. Although this building is a sanctuary, this property is a sanctuary for the Lord. It's dedicated to the purpose of God, and so we understand that. But the church is us, build it together under leadership and in proper structure. He says that, that you may know how to conduct yourself. So the church is the pillar. First of all, the pillar, it's the support. A pillar supports. It holds up something, but it also displays something. And this church is called to display the truth of God, that the truth of God would be on display in this church, in every department, children, youth, Bible studies, small groups, Sunday preachings. The Word of God is on display, but it also says it's the ground of the truth. Now, most translations will say buttress or support. It's the ground of the truth. It's the foundation of the truth. But I like what our dear friend Pastor Mel Davis said on this word. He said, the church is the ground of truth. And when people walk on these grounds, they walk into truth. They experience the worship of God. When we walk on these grounds, Christ City grounds, and in this building, we experience worship. We experience the corporate prayer life. We experience brothers and sisters joined fervently in supplication and intercessions. We feel the power of God. We feel the fellowship of the Spirit. This is the ground of truth. This is where our children are taught and raised. This is where new converts are discipled. This is where the work of the Lord goes forth in power. This is the ground of truth. In Genesis 28, Jacob had an experience with the Lord, and it's an experience that carries right through Scripture, and it's for us today. It says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. Now Jesus said in John 1:51. To Nathaniel, hereafter you will see the, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He said, Nathaniel, I'm the ladder. I bridge heaven and earth. 
And the angels of God are going up and down on this ladder. Jacob saw this ladder, the angels of God ascending and descending, and and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Genesis 28, verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid. It's good to get some fear of God. And said, how awesome is this place? He said, now as I reflect on it, I can't believe the presence. I can't believe what God's doing here. I I didn't see it at first. I, I didn't know it, but my, my concepts are enlarging. My spirit is opening up. I can see what God's doing. He said, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the entrance into heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He anointed the stone. There's only one rock, Christ Jesus, and you can put your head on him and rest, and you can get some dreams in the night. But he poured oil. He anointed Jesus, and he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God, the house of God. He called it the house of God. Jacob had a dream. He said, this is the, I see the ladder, angels of God ascending and descending. He said, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. The house of God is the gate of heaven. It's the place of God's provision. It's the place of God's power and of God's name. This church is the gate of heaven. This is where people get introduced to heaven. This is where people get introduced to Jesus and a heavenly life. This is the place of the ladder. Angels of God are in this place this morning. What are they doing? They're not descending and ascending. It's very clear. They're ascending and descending. What are they doing as we gather for prayer and worship into the presence of the Lord? Those angels are carrying up our supplications and prayer requests. They're dispatched to the heavens and they're bringing back supply. They're bringing forth miracles. They're bringing forth answers. They're bringing forth words of wisdom. They're bringing forth words of knowledge. They're bringing forth discerning of spirit. They are paving the way for what we need this morning. They're going up and down. In recent weeks, you heard the testimony on one Tuesday night, but another testimony this last weekend. We have had two young people in this church in the last month or two that have fallen and, and broken a bone in their foot. One lady was praying, asking Jesus if he would, Lord Jesus, I, I would love for you to heal my daughter. She went back to the doctor. They took another x-ray. The doctor says, I totally mystified. He says there's not even a line where there was a break. Another one this last weekend on crutches and came up for prayer in the meetings at the conference and healed by the power of God, put the crutches away and was dancing and rejoicing. And they're just waiting for tomorrow to confirm it from the doctor because they took another x-ray. One of the dear pillars of the house, Sandra Harder, a few months ago, Pastor Mar preached on healing one morning and the power of God was in this place and she came up for prayer, shingles, suffering for that painful, painful shingles. And by the time she got to her car 20 minutes later in the parking lot, as she gave testimony in this place, all symptoms were gone, healed by the power of God, all pain gone. This is the place of the ladder. 
This is the place where angels are going up and down this morning. And I don't know about you, but I'm sending up prayer requests and I'm sending up supplications and intercessions because I know the angels are active in the house of God. In the house of God. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is where people come to know Christ. This is where people get discipled. I spoke to a person a few months ago. Somebody I know. They no longer go to church, haven't gone to church for years. But this person was telling me how they're witnessing to some people at, at work in the office and how one person has really opened up to the gospel and he's just waiting that it shouldn't be much longer now and this person will accept Christ. And I said, what are you going to do with that person? Where's that person going to get baptized? Where's that person going to take communion? Where is that person going to be discipled and grow up in the truths of God and grow up in a family? And he had no answer for that. You see, that scaffold falls really quickly. The church is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Hallelujah. Final point, number two. Musicians, you can come. The church is the house of God. The church of the living God. 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. By the way, many people don't know how to conduct themselves in the house of God anymore. I've been in situations and meetings in a few years gone by, and I've heard ministers of the Lord get up and say, we have no idea what the church of the future is going to look like what the house of God is going to look like. And in my heart, the Bible says, Paul said, I'm a wise master builder. I know how to build the house of the Lord. It's as clear. Those blueprints are as clear as can be. And when Paul was talking about the house of God, he was talking about local churches set up and founded and working together for the goodness of the Lord. Now he said, he said, which is the church of the living God, the living God. Our God is not a stone. Our God is not some statue chiseled out of rock. He's not some stoic, unmoved being. The Bible says we are made in his image, and he is alive. He is more alive in his emotions, in his desires and passions than we can even imagine. He grieves, he weeps, he dances, he rejoices, he sings over us, the Bible says. The Bible says when we're worshiping as a congregation, Hebrews 2.12, that Jesus comes in the midst of us and begins to sing unto the Father. He joins in with the worship of the house of the Lord. Our God is alive. He's the living God. And when he comes in this place, he is worthy of all the emotion. He's worthy of all the fire. He's worthy of all the passion that we can pour out to his glorious and holy name. Hallelujah. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. The living God. The living God. What a blessing to know the Lord. You know, the Father only has. The Father only has a few hours a week with his family. Think of that. The Father can only gather all of us, his sons and daughters, who are part of this spiritual family. He can only gather us for a few hours a week. 
Most of the hours of the week are spent in domestic duties and occupation and rest and many activities that we have to take care of in life. He only has a few hours, Sunday morning, Sunday night, an hour or two on Tuesday, the youth department, he only, the children's ministry, he only has a few small hours, brief hours every week with his family. How, how important do you think these hours are for him? Hallelujah. Let's stand together and read Colossians 2, verse 5. Paul said, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, your good order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Good order and steadfastness, military terms, everyone in their place, carrying their weapons, standing by brother and sister, warring a good warfare. He said, I see your order. You're, you're organized properly in various departments and units and carrying on the work of God. And he said that steadfastness of your faith, that wasn't an individual steadfastness, although that's important. He's talking about the steadfastness of the church, the church as a whole, moving as a mighty army to take ground for the Lord. Philippians 1.27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. Agonizing is the word in the Greek. Agonizing, striving, pushing together for the faith of the gospel to hold it high, and to increase it in the earth. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. A dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's what we are. Jesus, this is his home. This is his household. This morning, SOS, save our ship. Save our ship ministers in the earth are crying and the God of heaven is crying SOS let's build our lives together let's follow the Lord if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior there's only one answer there's one the Bible says there's one only one road that leads to heaven his name is Jesus Christ and if you've been in this service this morning you feel his presence you feel his compelling respond to the Lord this morning the, we're opening up the altars, the front of the auditorium for any that would like to come and follow the Lord or if you have needs for prayer or you want to come and commit yourself this morning as a member of the household of God and say, Lord, I'm not going back to a former way of life. I'm going to walk on in the liberty and power you brought me to to this point and you want to seal that surrender. The altars are open for you. But let's all of us respond to the Lord right now in a mighty shout of thanksgiving and praise and worship and adoration. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your presence and your power and your glory. We magnify you, Jesus.